you would remain standing. I, uh, I would say, first of all, I want everyone to just calm down. Uh, usually, when I come to church, no one ever comments at all on what I'm wearing. Today, all I've heard about is he's wearing blue jeans. So these are just basic blue jeans. That's all these are. I think they're made by Bill's khakis. So we can calm down. Now, I know the real stir is going to happen at 1115 when I wear blue jeans under my robe. Now, that may set the church back 20, 30 years. Not totally sure. So we can be calm about that. The other thing I want to tell you is, uh, and this is related to generosity, generous giving uh, many of you know about that organization, uh, Haley Nichols of our church family is on their staff. They are all about growing generosity um, in the church. And they heard about our whole cup of rice thing uh, from last February and thought that was worthy, uh, a story worthy of being told. And so they came in, shot up. It's a nine-minute video, and uh, that's going to be released uh, tomorrow. So I just wanted to kind of give you a heads up. It's worth your time. Share that video. What I love about it is it is is very glorifying to the Lord and not to First Press or any of you. So that's the cool thing. That's where the the praise and honor belongs. So uh, again, uh, just so grateful for what God poured out uh, among you uh, those months ago and for the way that continues uh, to bear fruit. So let's pray as we come to the word of the Lord this morning. Father, thank you for uh, your goodness in our lives. Thank you for the privilege of gathering together today as your people. And we're gathering here at at just the right time. Um, This is when you've ordained, where you have arranged by your spirit that we would be together. And so as we're here, would you attune us spiritually so that our soul um, can hear what you have for us today? Lord, may you take away all of the things that tend to occupy the space in our minds. Whatever it is we're worrying about, whatever it is we got to do later, Lord, I pray that you would just take all that and let us set it aside to focus on your word and what you have for us today. So, Lord, would you overcome uh, my sin and brokenness today, and uh, would you, by your spirit, be the only one to receive honor and glory and praise, for we pray it. In the name of Christ, our Lord. Amen. So we stand today out of reverence um, for the inspiration and the authority of God's word that comes to us from Luke 2, uh, verses 25 to 35. And this is better known as Simeon's song. So now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised You now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And then Simeon blessed them 
and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. This is the word of the Lord today. And may he once again reveal to us the power of this song, one of the original songs of Christmas. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So over the years uh, of my ministry, there have been a lot of challenging issues that have uh, come before me from time to time, things that are just hard to understand or to, uh, to try to provide help for. But I would say one of the most challenging uh, over those years has been trying to help people that have an eating disorder. Um, maybe some of you in this room have struggled with that uh, at different points in your life, but like all anxiety disorders, eating disorders are by definition irrational. Uh, they don't make any sense. Doesn't make sense to the person on the outside. Doesn't make sense to the person uh, who's suffering with it. You just don't uh, see life in a rational way. And uh, years ago when I was in Fort Myers, I uh, had gotten very close to one of our church families, and they had a high school daughter who was super talented, played softball, made good grades, just an outstanding young lady, and, uh, and she, got, she got stirred up with an eating disorder, and it was pretty bad. Um, she was in and out of the hospital. She went up to a special unit in Tampa. I'd gone up there to see her. She got out of the hospital, came home. We met in my office trying to help her, and I remember one morning I got up, and I very specifically prayed. I said to the Lord, I prayed, I'm going to call her Anna. I said, Lord, I want you to be with Anna today. And if there's anything that I can do um, to help in her life, if I can be of use to you, I just want to say I'm available. Okay. So that was my morning prayer. So I go to the office. And then the one part of the story that I don't really remember uh, is that I don't know how I wound up in a particular part of Fort Myers, but I go to this part of Fort Myers that I never go to. I'm in a part of town that I'm never in. I don't know why I was there. But clearly, I think the Spirit moved me to go there. And then I'm, I'm driving along, and I have a craving for a Coca-Cola. And if you know me, you know I don't drink soda. It's just not what I drink. I don't have to against soda. If you drink soda, good for you. But I don't drink soda. But all of a sudden, I'm like, I really want a Coke. And then I look up, and the first place I see is a Burger King. And again, no offense to Burger King, but wouldn't probably be my first choice for fast food but I'm not getting food. So I think I'm gonna pull into Burger King and I'm gonna get a Coke. And as I pull into the parking lot, Anna literally walks right in front of my car. And she looks in the windshield and I look at her and we both have a pretty stunned look on our face. And I park and we go in the restaurant and she goes, what are you doing here? And I said, I just wanted a Coke. What are you doing here? And she said, well, I just binged. And before I went back to school, I was going to come into the bathroom and I was going to purge. And I can tell you today, good news, Anna is now healthy, happy, married, two kids, doing awesome. But in that moment, I can tell you that all of a sudden she realized very clearly that God had made all that happen. I explained to her, I never come to this part of town. I don't drink soda and I don't go to Burger King, but here I am. How do you explain that? And she knew in that moment that God cared 
about what was going on in her life. He cared about her illness. He cared about her health. He was part of the whole thing. And what's more, he arranged all of it. It was a complete setup. And what I want you to understand today through Simeon's song is that God is doing that in all of our lives. All that love the Lord, he's arranging things in our lives every single day, every moment, because we don't do anything that is not beneath the sovereignty of God. And yes, sometimes it's gonna be big stuff. Sometimes it'll be like me in the parking lot with Anna, but sometimes it's gonna be smaller things, things that make you go, hmm, things that you may think are coincidental, where you're looking for a particular doctor to help you with a particular thing and you find out your neighbor is friends with that doctor and they help you get in to see that person. Or maybe you're just having a really bad day and you really need to see one and you walk around the aisle at the store and there's that friend who you know loves you and you needed to see them. But it's not just those supposedly coincidental moments, but people I'm telling you, I think every time you open your Bible, that's all been arranged by the Lord because you wouldn't be seeking God unless God had given you the hunger and the desire to seek him. Every time you pray, I think God set that up. I think he arranged the whole deal. I think the fact that you are here right now is a setup. I think God arranged the whole thing for you to be here today. Every time you come to worship, God is orchestrating the fact that he wants you in his presence. He wants to grow you, teach you, help you discern, show you, shape you, all those things all the time. Do you know that every Sunday morning, and some of y'all gonna be mad at me about this. Every Sunday morning, I get here at 6.30 and I have some prayer time. And one of the first things I pray is, Lord, the people who went to sleep last night, not planning to go to church, wake them up and give them the urge, put your spirit on them and make them wanna go to church. So I'm just saying this morning, I'd love to know which one of you this morning are my answered prayers? Shoot me an email. Go, you know what, Sunday, I wasn't planning to be there, but I woke up and it just seemed like the right thing to do. And some of you virtually, you got nudged and you said no. I'm talking to you. Because see, that's the whole challenge, right? Right now, some of you are going, dang, he got us. Not he, me, he, God. Right? Because the whole question is, if God is arranging stuff on our lives all the time, the question becomes, are we spiritually tuned in enough to see it, to grasp it, to know how God is working in our lives all the time? Because what does our culture tell us? Our culture is saying, just think about you, think about your needs, what you want, what do you have to do? So we kind of, we get distracted from what God is trying to show us and what I hope you can see this morning in Simeon's song is the wonder and the glory of what God is trying to reveal to you all the time. And we meet this guy in our text this morning named Simeon. And the thing about Simeon that's unique is this is the only time he gets mentioned in all the scriptures. And so we just don't know hardly anything about him at all. We just know his name was Simeon. We know he was righteous. We know he was devout and that he was waiting on the Messiah and that the Holy Spirit was on him. So I hope you are starting to see, this is the fourth Sunday in Advent. This is the fourth of the original Christmas carols that we're working on. And I hope you have seen a pattern now. So the pattern is very first and foremost, what happens first? 
the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God comes upon that, upon that person. Happened to Zechariah, Elizabeth, Mary, and now Simeon. It says the Spirit moved. And then after the Spirit moves, there's a promise that God makes. Then God keeps the promise. There's a revelation of Jesus. And then the result of that revelation is a joyous song. So the Spirit, a promise, a promise fulfilled, and then a joyous song as a result. So we get into verse 27, and, it's, and, and Simeon and Jesus have this arranged moment. God sets the whole thing up. Verse 27, moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. So what I want you to see today is that Simeon, probably when he woke up that day, had no plan to go to the temple courts. He didn't, I don't think he had it on his calendar. He woke up and the Spirit moved him. The Spirit arranged it. The Spirit was on him and said, you need to go to the temple courts today. Simeon had not a clue that Mary and Joseph and Jesus were gonna show up. He didn't know that. He didn't go there to see them. It was just the Spirit said, you ought to go. You ought to be there. And so what did he do? He was obedient. He moved. He went where the Spirit led him. And as a result of that, what happened? I wanna talk about three things. I wanna talk about waiting. I wanna talk about joy. And I wanna talk about the challenge of the Christian life. And so the first thing that Simeon experiences, and we can, we can feel secure, we can feel a sense of confidence, we can feel a great sense of peace today in the knowledge that God is going to keep his promises, that God is gonna do what he says he's going to do. However, what Simeon discovers is that might not necessarily be in our time. It might not be in the timing that we want. In fact, most of the time in the Christian life, we wait there's a lot of waiting in Christianity. And you've heard that from this pulpit on many different occasions. But what does the scripture tell us? Verse 26, it had been revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit that he wouldn't die before he'd seen the Lord's Christ. Now, how he did that, we don't know. We don't get, you know, like Zechariah and Mary, we get very specific details about how uh, those things about God were revealed to them. We don't get that with Simeon, we don't know. But then in verse 25, it says, so he, he knows by the spirit, I'm not gonna die till I see Jesus. And it says he'd been waiting on the consolation of Israel. So that's a fancy way of saying the Messiah. He was waiting on the Messiah. And what, you, what happens if you look at the breadth of the biblical witness, this happens over and over and over again. Maybe one of the most well-known prophecies in all of scripture is Isaiah 9, 6. You know this. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Right, so God speaks. And so it's kind of a good news, bad news thing, isn't it? I mean, the good news. Do you, you know how long it was between the prophecy that God spoke through Isaiah and the actual birth of Jesus was just 730 years, that's all. 730 years. So the good news is, wow, that is such a God thing that God put it on the prophet Isaiah's heart to speak about something that was going to happen 730 years later. And then it did. How cool is that? I love that. That's the good news. The bad news is that God made a promise and it took 730 years before it came to pass. That would be like God saying something in 1300. 
and having it happen in eight more years. You know, I'm not sure that we would say and affirm what Brett told us earlier, right? At just the right time. I'm not sure we would want to say that. You know, in in Mark 5, Jairus has a little girl who's dying. And he says, Jesus, come. But Jesus stops and he, he heals another woman. And while Jairus, who's a synagogue ruler, a very powerful man, who's never made to wait, while Jairus waits, his daughter dies. John 11, Mary and Martha's sin for Jesus. Lazarus is dying. Come. And the Bible doesn't explain it, but it says Jesus didn't go for two more days. And during that time, Lazarus dies. So whether it was the prophecy of Isaiah, whether it was Jairus, whether it's Mary and Martha, whether it's one of you in this room, every single one of us could say, God, you were late. You were not on time. It was not the right time. But in all of those situations, was God late? No. Did God do what he said he was going to do? Yes. Did he raise Jairus' daughter and Lazarus from the grave? Yes. Were those foreshadowing of what would happen in the life of Jesus, that he too would be raised from the dead to overcome our greatest enemies of sin and death? Yes. So even though we wait, we wait in the confidence that God will always do what he promises that he will do. And it's sometimes in the waiting that you and I grow the most in our faith and in our understanding of the presence of God. But I get it, it's frustrating. I mean, there are prayers that I'm praying right now and I'm waiting and I'm gonna be honest, I'm tired of waiting. And in fact, these are prayers that have gone on so long that now I'm telling God, I'm tired of waiting. So far that has not moved him. But, but here's the thing, and, and I hear this a lot. People will say to me, who may be outside the faith, they, they'll say, well, if God is so faithful and I've been praying, why am I still in this situation? Why hasn't God changed this? And, and what I wanna show you from Simeon is that our faith is not in a set of circumstances. Our faith is not in whether this external thing does or doesn't happen. Our faith is in a person. Simeon was waiting on the consolation of Israel, not a set of circumstances. And so it's the presence of Jesus in our waiting that gives us the ability to endure. And that's what sets up the song. We haven't even gotten to the song yet. It's just that Simeon was waiting and all of us at some point in our life, we will have to wait as well. So number two, God sets this whole thing up. Simeon waits, and then he reveals it. And again, what's the pattern? There's a promise. The promise is kept, and the person bursts into joyful song. That's what happens in verse 30. My eyes, he sings, have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. So that's one of the first times where we see that the gospel is not just for the Jews, it's for the entire world. Simeon sings that song of the spread of the gospel around the globe and for glory to your people Israel. So it's gonna be both Jew and Gentile. So in that moment, God keeps his promise. He shows to Simeon, the Christ child, the consolation of Israel, and he bursts into song. There's that joy 
And I just ask you once again, is that the pattern of your life? Are you so focused on your circumstances that you don't see all the things that God is doing? And because you don't see those things, you don't feel joy. What is your countenance today? What is your, your, the joy of your heart? Would anybody know by being in your presence that Christ fills your heart? Now, the other thing about this text that I think is so uh, funny, actually, is what did God tell Simeon? Simeon, you're not gonna die till you've seen Jesus. He's just seen him. So if I'm Simeon, I'm not singing, I'm ducking. Right, I'm going, oh my gosh, that's the Christ child. My time is up, right? But that's, that's not what Simeon was doing. Why? His faith isn't in circumstances. His faith within it was in a person. His focus was on Jesus, and that's always the source of our joy. I want to read to you part of a letter I got, Lee and, Lee and I got a number of years ago, from a woman named Kelly. And Kelly and Lee got to be friends uh, when Lee was a chaplain in the Seminole County Jail. She did that for about five or six years. And Kelly had a tough, a tough life. When she was 19, she was being trafficked um, by a, uh, a ruthless human being. And at 19, she committed a very serious egregious crime. She did, but she was under the influence of this trafficker. But because of Florida uh, mandatory sentencing laws, she was sentenced to life in prison without parole. And Lee and I felt, many people felt, that's just not fair. Did she commit a crime? Does she need to be in prison? Yes, but for the rest of her life. And so we helped get lawyers and we help find people to argue her case. And there was appeal after appeal after appeal after appeal. And everybody said no. And finally, there was one more shot. And we got to this judge and the judge once more said, sorry, no, she's gonna spend the rest of her life in prison. And, and Lee and I were crushed. We were so sad. And then we get this letter from Kelly. And she says, hey there, how are things going? I'm well. I had a rough period, but God is faithful. He's always up to something. Smiley face. I was really disappointed not to have a different outcome, but God knows what he's doing. I was mad for a while. I guess I'd had a vision for my life that didn't match up with God's vision for me. Now, I'm praying to catch a glimpse of his. Until then, I'm in a tender place once again. Only God knows what's in store. You know, and Lee and I held that letter and just looked at each other in wonder. How could she have joy? She said, I'm just, I realized that I didn't have the same vision for my life that God did. So now I'm looking for his vision. How are y'all doing? I'm good, smiley face. How is that possible? Because she wasn't focused on I'm gonna be in jail the rest of my life. She didn't look at circumstances. Joy came because she knew that somehow, some way, God was in it. God was with her. Emmanuel was true. God with 
So your joy will be greatly expanded when we stop focusing so much on the context and the circumstance. And like Simeon, we sing about he who is our consolation and the hope of the world. And then finally, I want to talk to you about the Christian life. And this is where Simeon's song differs from all the others. And that doesn't mean the others are bad and Simeon's song is best, but there is a rawness to what Simeon says. There's a candor that the other songs don't have. Simeon doesn't sugarcoat anything about the gospel. In the other three songs, God reveals Jesus, there's praise, there's singing, everything's good, it's happy, la, 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 la. Simeon doesn't do that. He says in verse 34, he sings, and then he says in verse 2 of the song, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. He says there are going to be all these wonderful things. But he says, Mary, this is also going to be really, really hard. And and that was true. Mary, I mean, imagine how joyful Jesus' childhood was. Watching him grow, watching him learn carpentry, all those things. But Jesus dies young. And when he dies, Mary's soul is pierced. It was joy and it was triumph. It was sadness and it was brokenness and it was piercing gut level pain and it was all part of her Christian life. And Simeon's song tells us so clearly that that's what we can expect. That if you got into this thing, if you got into Christianity thinking that it was gonna get you out of hardships, people, you didn't get out, you're in. What did Jesus promise us? He said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. So don't hold Jesus to promises that he never made. In fact, I will tell you, if you look at the breadth of the biblical witness, I think that living the Christian life may be living the hardest life that you could ever choose. In fact, in John 15, 19, Jesus says, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. See, if you belong to the world, you would just conform, right? And the world would love you for loving it. It wouldn't fight back because you were always going along to get along, which is the choice a lot of people make today. They just go, you know, going with the flow of the world is just easier. I don't run the risk of offending anybody. But Jesus goes on, as it is, you don't belong to the world but I've chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. They persecuted me. They will persecute you also. And so when when hard things happen, when people don't seem to grasp who we are, why we live the way we do, remember, this isn't your home. This is not where you were created to live. But while you're here, you set up shop, you raise your family, you produce, you contribute. 
And as you do that, you, you offer a window to the world of the grace and the goodness of God. But people, my task as your pastor is not to lie to you about the gospel. And that's why just, I'm not gonna lie to you just to make you feel better. So you will never ever hear from this pulpit that your best days are ahead of you. You will never hear from this pulpit that it's gonna work out whatever's happening in your life. You know why? Because I don't know that. Your worst days may start tomorrow. What's happened in your life may absolutely crumble. And you know what the truth is? The consolation of Israel will still be with you even in the middle of it. But our, our expectations somehow, we get from the culture this false idea that says, oh, well, if you're following God, then he's supposed to keep you out of all those things. People, that's just not true. And so every week in my office, there is joy and there's brokenness. Every week in my office, there's growth and there's, there's buckling, gut-wrenching pain. And it all happens at the same time. And that's why I love Simeon's song. Because it's not sugar-coated. And we always need to know exactly what it is we're getting into when we choose to follow Jesus. I'm telling you today, I think it's the hardest life that you could ever choose. But I'll tell you at the same time, it's the richest and it's the fullest and it's the most satisfying life because it is about something eternal, because it's about something that matters. And when you come to understand it, it transcends everything else in your life. So even though it's a challenge, even though it's so hard at times, it will also bless you in ways that you never thought possible as God prepares you for what it is to live with him forever. What a song. Waiting, joy, and the reality of what it is to follow Jesus. All of that, because he is our consolation. I close this morning with an email I got in 2008 from a woman that many of you all remember. Her name is Carrie Burchak. Carrie and Andy were members of our church for many, many years. They moved to Lubbock a few years back to take care of some family members there. But the first funeral I did in this congregation was for Andy and Carrie's son, Barrett. He was a senior at Florida State and died in a car accident on the Florida Turnpike coming home for fall break from Florida State. And the Burchaks received me so, I mean, I'm, I've been here six weeks and they welcomed me as their pastor. And we walked through that together four years later. As I talked about last week, you know how God illuminates just a little bit of the darkness. Carrie and Andy are taking little steps on the path to peace. And Carrie's taking down her Christmas decorations that year. And she said, I felt like I was putting Jesus away for another year. Then she writes, there's a whole world of hurt and loss and sorrow and pain a world greatly in need of hope. And we hold that hope as Jesus is revealed in each of us. The Christ of Christmas 
lives so that we may experience the fullness of joy and hope and life in abundance. My prayer is that we keep Jesus with us, not packed away, for he is our Emmanuel. And I kept it because, see, I think Carrie and Andy understood and understand today even more than most of us about the realities of the Christian life. That it doesn't put some protective bubble over us, but we will have to deal sometimes with the piercing of our soul. But in it, we don't put Jesus away because he didn't come in the time that we thought he should. And he didn't answer our prayers the way he thought we, we thought he should. And he didn't protect the life of this person or that person. But we don't put him away because he's our consolation. He's our comforter. He's the one who came to overcome the very things that you're struggling with circumstantially today. He is your victor. He is your Christ. Don't put him away. Keep him with you today and in all the days ahead as we sing the joy of what God has revealed to us in Christ. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you that you are undeniably at work in our lives, that you are constantly arranging things as you did for Simeon so that he could see you as you did with me in that parking lot that day, as you've done for everybody in this room, whether we've seen it and recognized it or not. Father, I pray that you would give us eyes that see and ears that hear what you're arranging in our lives, that we would be patient and wait for what you have promised, that when it is revealed that we would sing because we're focused on you, not on circumstances. And Father, that we would stop holding it against you that you would deliver us from thinking that you're responsible for making our life easy and good. Father, teach us that even in the hardships, you are still our consolation. Put today, oh God, Simeon's song on our lips and in our hearts, we pray in Christ's name.